In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jack Duffin. Jack, how are you? I'm buzzing. This is the one when we launched the podcast, the one person we wanted to get on. So let's go for it. We have got the one, the only, Pete Smith. Pete, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be lied to uh, for the sake of, for my ego. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Pete. <laughs> Pete, we still don't believe you exist because we've got you on Skype and we haven't got any video of you. So you're still a mythical uh, character to us. Yeah, I, 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 the way this has been built up, I almost prefer it that way, uh, that, that people think I don't exist, even though there are plenty who have met me. But uh, e- even I did a thing on uh, the uh, local TV sta- one of the local TV stations and didn't have a picture up for that either. So it's just building apparently building the myth you're like daft punk i don't know if you know daft punk um yeah 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 no one knows who they are and they produce great music so uh we've got yourself pete who's great uh, inside into browns we just don't know who you are it's basically batman it's the hero browns need but not the hero the browns deserve i could use batman money <laughs> The question is, uh, Pete, who's your Robin? It's a good question. I, 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 I prefer to be the Batman without Robin because that gets very weird and uh, potentially illegal very quickly. <laughs> okay, great. So, um, uh, Pete, um, I'm guessing you're a Browns fan. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it's kind of like herpes. Once you get it, you're sort of, you know, that's a lifelong <laughs> commitment. Yep. I can't say I know how that feels, but um, I can only imagine. And um, when did it all start from you? When, when did you start becoming a Browns fan? Well, I mean, it's, you know, I was born in Ohio. I'm born in Akron, uh, so sort of raised in it. But I suppose uh, after the Browns left, uh, when they came back, there was this, you know, uh, sense that uh, when they came back that, you know, you had this uh, this sense that you could actually see, like, obviously the Browns have been around since, you know, 46, uh, but when they sort of started over, there was almost this sense that you were sort of in on the ground floor and you could see it be built. Now, it was never intended to take, you know, almost 20 years, but, you know, when, when you know, they didn't even have a team uh, and then they, you know, started with Tim Couch and some of those other guys, there was this sense that, you know, you were in on it you were going to see how it was all built you were going to be sort of in along that ride and i suppose uh given what i do now and and obviously analyzing the browns and then uh interest in the nfl draft that me and and there are a lot of uh people in sort of if you want to call it an industry uh like uh you know what's his face uh Dane Brugler is an example of the, one of those guys, and there are certainly a lot of Browns fans uh, that have sort of gotten into into analyzing and, and the draft stuff. All who came around that time, and I think some of some of that was just the idea that you couldn't imagine anyone being so bad at it that you almost got interested to the point to understand how they could be this bad at it, and then by contrast, what it would take to be good at it. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people from this area, and I mean, in certain respects, I expect you, you guys, in, uh, are on, in this the way you are by virtue of the fact that anyone could possibly be this bad at it, even if not necessarily that you'd be better at it, but at least you could understand uh, why they're so bad at it and what it, what what it would look like to be better. And uh, Pete, you seem to be on Twitter twenty four seven. Do you actually have a, a job, or uh, um, 
Are you full-time media? Well, uh, as, uh, by virtue of the internet, I mean, it's not difficult to uh, sort of be omnipresent in some sense, but uh, uh, obviously I write at NFL Spin Zone. Uh, I coach a high school team locally here. Uh, I coach uh, as an assistant coach. I coach quarterbacks, and then uh, I do some sub work and some other things along those lines to uh, basically uh, allow me to do these things. Okay, great. And um, uh, do, do you have uh, children um, and you're coaching your children or is it um, just um, something you do uh, as a hobby or a job? Uh, definitely do not have children. Uh, and I coach high school kids. Uh, that, no, I don't. There was no like uh, child connection that, that got me into it. Okay, cool. And do you think you've got any uh, future NFL uh, superstars on your roster at the moment? Uh, there could be one. Ooh. And I bet when he comes around to the draft, you'll be plugging him like hell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it, if, it, if it goes the way it could with him, uh, yeah, there will, be a, there will be a time when, well, you know, that'll happen. Okay, great. And we're an international uh, podcast. Um, have you ever been to England at all? I have once uh, when I was like nine uh, or ten, and it was uh, sort of a quasi-family reunion slash genealogical venture. Uh, I have family that got big into that, uh, tracked themselves to you know various uh, ancestors and distant relatives on my mom's side, so it sort of worked out that way. So it was sort of a big uh, family trip over there. And I even believe your um, uh, picture on Twitter is related to England. Right. So given that you're, you know, cultured individuals, that you understand that it's from uh, Monty Python and the Search for the Grail, uh, uh, the, yeah, I've got uh, that, the castle in there, obviously it was, you know, filmed because you know, Monty Python was poor and uh, resourceful, uh, that they, you know, did most of their stuff locally. So there's a, a castle in the film in England, and I, I get I, evidently I'm, I'm told that uh, I have ancestors that date back to uh, one of those castles uh, at that in in that's featured in the movie. Yeah, cool. See, Jack, we learn something new every day. And um, Pete, are you a, um, a soccer fan at all? UK football. I'm a fan of the World Cup. Uh, I'm a fan of the World Cup because it's the one sport uh, that the world participates in where you genuinely do not know who is going to win every four years as opposed to Olympic basketball where it's if the United States doesn't win, it's, you know, it's a giant embarrassment. And the other part that's interesting about the World Cup is that the United States is quite bad at it. So if they ever were to win, it would be a very, very big deal as opposed to most every other international competition uh, where it's an expectation, which makes it kind of fun that the United States is such a uh, an underdog. So like the year they beat Portugal in the knockout round was obviously had a lot of fun uh, with Brian McBride and those guys. Yep. But uh, as a result, uh, the United States is often quite bad at it or in this particular case even though it was a fantastic world cup they weren't in it uh so i tend to root for england uh given it's a heritage country and uh i was happy that for the first time and it feels like my lifetime that they did not disappoint and grossly underperform as they tend to do because they're so worried about being criticized by the media which is vicious during the world cup uh that this young group and they specifically went super young which was fun to watch uh they either didn't care or immune or whatever. And they actually overperformed in a year where there were concerns that they were going to basically get knocked out immediately if they got out of the group stage because they were inexperienced and they were very good, not quite uh, good enough, obviously, but they were at least entertaining to watch. There's a lot of similarities between the Browns and England. It's a team that always fails with expectations, a team with a lot of young talent, but the players love the coach, but the coach is not good at coaching. So there's a lot of connections between the Browns and England. And it's interesting to see who wins the first major tournament. Will we see a Super Bowl in Cleveland or a uh, European Championships or World Cup come back to England? 
I mean, that, that, that it was certain. Obviously, you know, you guys had that whole uh, bringing, you know, coming home thing this year, which was you know fun, and and everybody got into it on on, on the uh, British side. Uh, certainly, if the Browns got good and they got you know they got around in the playoffs uh, or they got to you know the AFC Championship again, um, there would certainly be a similar sort of energy around it. There's mm-hmm. no question that you know the mm-hmm. excitement around both teams that. that you know, England's not short on fans, and obviously it's a little bit bigger than just England. But uh, as as most countries around the world uh, world with the World Cup, you know, the entire nation gets involved. Uh, that the Browns have sort of that kind of following, even worldwide. Obviously, you guys are there, but they, I mean, there's Browns backers clubs that extend to like Egypt and places like that. So there would be you know a ton of fervor if the Browns get good. It was really uh, gutting in the World Cup. We lost to uh, Croatia and uh, Nathan uh, Zagurus, obviously from Croatia. So, uh, yeah, one Browns fan got to the uh, uh, World Cup final. And, uh, uh, Pete, are you uh, a big drinker? No, not really. Uh, but if I, if I am going to drink uh, and, and your mom seems like a lovely bartender, I'm sure she could whip me up a nice uh, gin and tonic. Okay, good. And uh, my my question uh, uh, to you would be, uh, who would you uh, want to have a gin and uh, GNT with in the uh, Browns organization? Oh, at this point, uh, the guy who's sort of—I mean, there are a number of players. I mean, Miles Garrett would be fascinating uh, just because of who he is. But if you're actually talking from an organizational stand organizational standpoint, Andrew Barry is of interest uh, to me. Uh, he's been sort of a consistent presence throughout the. Uh, the, the John Dorsey era and then the previous Sashi Brown era. And I did have a chance to meet him and, uh, you know, went Chris Farley uh, on uh, uh, on the Beatles type thing on Saturday Night Live with him, which was fun. Uh, certainly probably made an ass of myself in front of him. But uh, it was good because I'm a big fan of the work he's been able to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously I'm continuing to, I was very excited that Dorsey kept him. I'm hoping that, you know, he will continue to be sort of the consistent voice because he's been along with, uh, a little bit of the analytical department. He's been the one sort of consistent guy who's got a hand in the football part, obviously played, uh, in the Ivy league. He's very educated and he's also got a hand in the analytics concepts and, and getting into that part. And he was a huge voice. Uh, with Sashi Brown, and I'm hoping he is still a big voice now with Dorsey and those guys. And Pete, you said before the uh, show started, I could ask you anything. Sure, I'm sure I'll regret it, but go for it. Who would who would be the least person, uh, least wanting person you'd want to go for a drink with at the Browns organization? Well, Hugh Jackson. I mean, <laughs> the, I, I don't want to just sit there and just yell at the guy for you know how bad he is at his job. Uh, I'm sure he's a very nice fellow. A lot of people are very popular with, uh, with him around the media and, and such. I'm sure he's a great guy, but uh, he's an awful, awful head coach. And Jack, you can't say Hugh Jackson, who would be the least person you want to go for a drink there with? Probably the Haslam's because I'd just end up shouting at him for sacking uh, Sashi and backing Hugh because no point does that make any sense at all. I can understand if you wanted to clear house, but getting rid of Sashi, who was doing some good things, made a couple of mistakes in keeping AJ McCarron, super fan, Hugh Jackson, is just nuts. Um, uh, Pete, are you a Sashi Brown fan? Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, I was really into the whole process they were going to, and obviously, you know, there are more than a few people who are, are aren't going to hesitate to, you know, go back and say. Well, he was wrong about Corey Coleman. He was wrong about, you know, Deshaun Kaiser. I don't think he was really behind that pick. Uh, he was wrong about Cody Kessler and, and, and Sean Coleman and, and some of these other things. But conceptually, uh, there's no question that what he did in terms of the salary cap, getting rid of bad contracts, and a lot of the picks he did make uh, are going, whatever, whatever you want to say about this, if the Browns are going to be successful, what he did is sort of the spine of this, good new Browns team uh, and uh, the, you know, even, you know, I, I certainly love that Dorsey picked Baker Mayfield. Um, it's not as if Sashi Brown was going to not pick a quarterback. 
it's just a question of which one he was going to pick this year. Uh, and certainly if he was going with data, uh, he would have ended up with Baker Mayfield as well. Um, but the, the bottom line is that what he did, what he was trying to do, uh, you know, you, you can hate it by the virtue of the fact that it went one in 31, but the Browns are certainly in a better place now than they were, say, uh, three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And that's difficult to get away from. So there's no divorce. You know, he's not here in the fact that he's employed, but there's no, there's no way you can divorce uh, Sashi Brown from what the Browns look like right now. You can say, you know, he's not a football guy, this, that, and the other, whatever bullshit you want to come up with. But the fact is he is uh, absolutely in the threading of this, if Miles Garrett's a superstar, if, you know, Emmanuel Ogba's a great player, Schobert's made a, a Pro Bowl, those type of things, that the, his his fingerprints are going to be all over this organization. Uh, and certainly, I, I'm, I'm absolutely rooting for Dorsey to be, you know, great and, and get this team to a, uh, being a contender in the Super Bowl. But that's, you can't get away from the initial guy who sort of started it. Okay. And I, I can feel that you're a Dorsey fan as well, as well right? Um, I really liked a lot of what he did with the draft. Um, I, I didn't love all of it, and I think some of his trades are absolutely god awful. Uh, in that he likes seems to have, you know, when he decides he doesn't want anybody, want, want a certain player, he will basically take anything for them and not sort of try to maximize value. And, and contrasting that to Sashi Brown, who you know he squeezed. Every you know red cent out of guys, you know, getting a fourth round pick for a punter, getting a seventh round, you know, a sixth round pick for Justin Gilbert who couldn't play dead. Uh, compare that to you know whatever you want to say about Corey Coleman, he was legitimately starting over other guys on this roster, and you basically threw him away uh, at the worst possible time. Or Danny Shelton, who whatever you want to say about him, he was very good at what he's very good at. Uh, that you got very minimal return on hit. Uh, but, the, you know, I, I really like the uh, Deshaun Kaiser for uh, Demarius Randall trade. I think that's the one great trade he's made uh, with this. But overall, I think in that particular area, he struggles. And, 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 you know, obviously I'm not a Jarvis Landry fan, so I didn't love that trade. I wouldn't have made it. Uh, so drafting-wise, I think he's he's been good. Baker Mayfield looks great. Uh he, he took a lot, a lot of players I was high on. I don't know if he used my board, but, uh, you know, if he did, great. But, you know, there's certainly areas where he is very, very good. Uh, there are just areas where he – I don't know if it's not – if he's not good at it or he's disinterested in it, but there are certain areas where he just seems to lack. And uh, keeping on, uh, Landry, are you um, – anything's changed in your view since uh, preseason uh, started? Um, not really. I mean, I, 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 I love the fact that he has been a positive influence on guys. You know, I don't buy the idea that just because hard knocks was there that suddenly he decided he was going to make, you know, a speech or that he was going to play things up for the camera. I, I do think that is who he is. I think that part of it is very positive. Uh, the fact that he does, he works hard, that he is very competitive. These are all good things. But, uh, and I think the Eagles preseason game is a hint of things to come, uh, that there's this idea that Browns fans have built Jarvis Landry into something he cannot possibly be. He is not a superstar. He's a good, uh, decent, you know, reliable receiver, uh, but he can't be a number one guy. I'm not, you know, to me, he in a perfect world, if I was, you know, sort of manipulating where this offense was going, he'd be my number four option in turn. And that's including uh, backs and, and tight ends and stuff that he isn't a feature guy in the offense. And I think the Eagles showed you why he isn't. Now, that, that being said, I think he could come out and have a very nice game against the Steelers. I think he could exploit zone coverages. But I, it, on the whole, I think, you know, as this year goes on, I think people are going to uh, be mad at their own expectations and ultimately take it out on the player that you're paying, you know, twenty nine million dollars for a guy who's never going to pay back, you know, give you twenty nine million dollars worth of value. And if you know, you you can say, well, I don't care, you know, we need talent, whatever. That's fine, 
but at the same time, you know, good business sort of lends itself to good business. We're going to start with some no love. This naturally then rolls onto um, the roster breakdown. Um, let's cover the offense and uh, quarterbacks. I think it's quite simple what's going to happen with the quarterbacks. Everyone agree on that? Yeah, uh, there's no there's no question of who's going to make the team and, and, and what order they're going to be in, at least for now. You think Brogan may make the practice squad? Theoretically, I think most teams like to have a guy. Uh, an arm on the practice squad as to sort of, sort of a scout team guy, somebody who's sort of at least familiar with the offense that if God forbid somebody goes out for the year or, you know, two guys get hurt that you have an emergency guys who, who's at least been in your playbook. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Now this is where it gets a bit more interesting. The O-line. What's your view on the O-line, Pete? Uh, if they all stay healthy, we're going to be in great shape. Uh, I, you know, I hated the timing of the decision of Joel Batonio being moved to left tackle. Um, but at the, I give him all the credit in the world. He's, he's worked his butt off and he, he does still doesn't look like he's hundred percent comfortable there. Uh, but he's done a great job. Uh, and I think he could be, you know, the more comfortable he gets, the better he will be. I am really, really excited about what Austin Corbett showed, the last two preseason games, I think he is, you know, he's a nice Mormon kid who's not a nice Mormon kid when we get on the field. He's a nasty finisher guy who hustles, likes to put guys on the ground. He just gives you an attitude. And the, and the Browns running game re- really, these past two preseason games, has always been, it's basically, anytime it's been really productive, it's somehow he's been involved. I think J.C. Treader is going to have a great year. Uh, the added bulk uh, that he was able to put on in an offseason where he was finally healthy. Looks like it's making a huge difference. I think he was dominant against the Bills. I think he had a very good game against the Eagles. Uh, Kevin Zeitler, you know, hopefully he's going to be ready to go week one. He is not going to ever be the, the, you know, the stud guard that anyone wants to be. He can't pull. That's not what he is. But he's a very good phone booth mauler type that can block down and do those things, but he's going to have lapses in pass protection. That's just sort of who he is. Chris Hubbard, uh, very good player uh, so far, uh, certainly unorthodox, and uh, that he's basically almost the same size as uh, Darren Fells, the tight end, yeah, uh, but much shorter. Uh, but what I really like about him is he can uh, really get out in space well. He can, you know, he's really exciting when he, you know, they ran like a lead tossed behind him, and he got out there really quickly and can get on guys quick. Uh, I, I do have some concerns with him, basically against our, the, the Browns division, in that Stefan Tuitt, who had a great game yesterday, um, and, you know, Carlos Dunlap, and, you know, a lot of the Ravens guys, they're all physically massive, and Hubbard is not that guy. Now, he, he may do a great job, but those just naturally seem like a difficult uh, matchup. Uh, after you get past the initial guys, uh, I think the Browns will keep Spencer Drango. I don't think Spencer Drango is good at all. I would get rid of him. I would try to trade him. Uh, I don't like his athletic makeup. I, 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 he, I give him all the credit in the world for how well he played against Joey Bosa last year. Uh, uh, but he's always going to be limited. He, he struggles to deal with speed rushers. And then at guard... He's been nothing short of a train wreck uh, in uh, relief of Zeitler while he gets healthy. Um, he, he, he has decent strength. He can't move. He just gets a lot of lapses in pass uh, protection. So I, I, I'm not a fan of him, but the Browns seem to be, as he has taken a million reps in preseason for some reason. I think Austin Ryder will make the team. Uh, they seem to like him as the backup center. He's got a nice athletic profile. I think he has a hard time as a run blocker, but you know, NFL teams generally like to have three guys that can snap. Uh, he certainly qualifies for that. Um, Desmond Harrison, I don't like him. At, I don't like him, uh, but I think the Browns really do um, as a pass protector. Uh, I think his play strength is underwhelming. I think it will always be underwhelming. I think he gets overpowered. I think he struggles in run blocking. Um, he's 
okay in pass protection. Personally, I like Christian Delaro better, uh, the rookie out of Illinois. Uh, and then the last guy, I think I've got nine making it. I think Greg Robinson will make it. Again, not my favorite, but I think the Browns really like him. I think he's a guard playing tackle right now, but he is the size they tend to like. And he does have a good athletic profile. It's just he's been, in a lot of ways, he's a lot like Cam Irving in that he's got some just fundamental issues that have to be corrected. Uh, in that, like, he like in pass protection, he likes to sort of step up before he, you know, tries to pass pro and, and he gets gets himself in trouble there. Uh, but the, the, the I have. I guess you'd call it a conspira- conspiracy theory in that there are three guys that I can think of off the top of my head that the Browns have barely exposed in preseason that are young guys, and I don't know. And, and I think it may be a case of if, if the Browns don't plan to keep them, I think they may try to basically sneak them to the practice squad by, uh, by basically making it so other teams couldn't see them. Um, and those are uh, Jeff Gray, the guard from Manitoba, He's very athletic, very big. Uh, Anthony Fabiano, who's a center guard, I actually like him better than Drango last year. He was better in the preseason. Uh, he can play three spots uh, on the interior. And then Christian Delaro's last one, who I've been very impressed with. I really liked him at Illinois. Uh, the Browns, at Illinois, he flopped tackle spots, so he's got experience at left and right tackle. And the Browns used him at left and right tackle. I think he has the athletic traits to be successful. Uh, and I think he's more reliable than Desmond Harrison, who's had some off-field questions, and uh, you know that got him kicked out of Texas initially before he ended up at West Georgia. Uh, and Desmond Harrison is much older than than Christian Delaro. So the fourth preseason game, maybe these guys will get a ton of action, um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if they seem to be hiding those guys, like if they have Corbett and. And uh, Durango play a ton of ton of snaps. I mean, they played the entire third game. That maybe they're trying to hide these guys, not expose them on on tape. That other teams may want to snag them when they you know roster cutdowns and try to get them on their practice squad. Yeah, they're definitely the nine players I had, and I think it will be nine because looking back at all of Dorsey's teams in the past, they all had nine O linemen. So that wouldn't surprise me. I think. Durango's there for the time being, and I think Robinson starts as our sort of backup tackle, but then when um, Harrison improves, I think they'll look to Robinson as potentially the long-term guard, and Durango might get moved on during the season. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to note, but I definitely agree they're the nine that we'll look to have on cut-down day. So you're saying, Pete, that um, uh, Coleman gets uh, cut then? Yes, I think Sean. I thought Sean Coleman would be be able to do it. I know Joe Thomas was very high on his expect uh, on his uh, outlook at left tackle, uh, and, and and I don't know the kid personally, but I get this sense that once he got knocked off at left tackle, the starting guy, that you know I don't know if it's an emotional thing where he basically, you know, was so crestfallen at the at that that, but he has gotten worse um, since being moved there and. And he's taken the 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 same path as as uh, as, as dear old Rod did. Uh, Rod Johnson, who couldn't play dead, Florida State to the Browns drafted in the fifth round. Uh, in that Rod Johnson was going to be a left tackle, and all of a sudden in camp he was like the backup right tackle, and then he's off the team. And Sean Coleman seems to like be the third string right tackle, maybe second string. But you don't want to be a backup right tackle in the NFL. Uh, they don't last. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's. they're going to basically move on. Certainly, uh, you can make the case that you, know, you can say this wasn't one of Dorsey's guys. He didn't pick him. Um, and and uh, there are times where I think that's a very bad logic to keep. But Coleman has not done himself any favors. Uh, he's very inflexible, which has always been a problem. He gives you the most promise in the run game. He's a powerful, big man. Like, he's an enormous human being. Uh, but he just has struggled, and it just seems like it's gotten worse and worse. Yeah. Do you think we get anything for him at all? He was a third-round pick. Um, it's possible, but it would be along the lines of a, a guy we don't like for a guy you don't like type trade. Like, basically, you know, if somebody calls up, and, and I think the NFL should make more of these trades, honestly, is, is basically say, we aren't going to keep this guy. 
uh, and the other team basically says, well, we would take him if you let him go. We have this guy. We don't, we aren't going to keep, uh, go ahead and make a swap for the Browns. That could be, you know, trading Sean Coleman to a team that has, you know, defensive line depth that could maybe give you a, and you're not going to get somebody that's a great player, but if you're weak in a spot and the Browns are, uh, that you get somebody that a team may have excess at or whatever, that you can at least get somebody who has a shot uh, to make it maybe impress you in the last preseason game or, or, or weeks of practice before the game, this, the games count. Uh, but, you know, I, I wish this would have been done earlier uh, if they were going to do it. So I, ultimately I think Sean Coleman will just probably be released, uh, but we'll see. If we bring Sashi back on a one-day contract, I'm sure he can get at least a fourth-round pick for him. I feel like he could get. I feel like he could get something. Uh, he he. Uh, I I don't know. You know, for for all the talk about how NFL guys claim they hated working with him, he seemed to trade with all of them. So uh, yeah, the, the, something something. But yeah, he it's tough. He's tough because he's an overaged, and this was the case when he was drafted. Uh, overaged offensive tackle that just has not really developed. Uh, so, yeah, he probably could. Uh, may not be the fourth-round pick that we got for for uh, Lee, but uh, something. And, uh, Pete, is there anyone um, out there, like, with our waiver uh, that we could probably get in? Any any names you can think of that could improve our O-line? Well, the, the guy I would be reaching out to is the guy the Browns cut almost immediately, which is uh, Christian Schneider. Uh who who they you know was 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 with the those guys with the Packers, uh, super athletic guy out of Cal Davis. Uh, I don't know if maybe he just decided he didn't want to play football anymore, and that's why they moved on. But again, you know, scouting athletic traits uh, that that was a guy that that fit all the markers to be a successful offensive tackle, uh, and was super young. He was only twenty one last year, so he would still be maybe the youngest guy on the roster in terms of offensive line. And it's possible that maybe they're, they'll, they'll try to get him in the practice squad, but that that's the one guy. I mean, it's just, it's when it comes to offensive linemen, nobody has enough. So the fact that nobody has enough, there's not going to be options out there really. All right, great. And, uh, moving on, uh, to the, uh, what about the running back room? Um, Jack, you feel there's going to be four or five, right? Um, I'd usually predict four that make the roster. So as pure running backs, Hyde, Chubb and Duke Johnson. Um, I think, bold prediction time, there's no, going to be no fullback on the roster. I think they'll use, for any uh, plays they want that, they'll use Fells as a blocking tight end to come in and play fullback. So I think we actually go with three running backs, but it wouldn't surprise me if Vitaly makes the roster. Pete? Yeah, I've got Duke, Chubb, and Hyde, but I, I, I do have the super back making the team because he is the super back. Uh, I do think Dan Vitale is a good player. Uh, I really like him on screens and stuff. He's a good player with the ball in his hands. But the other thing that Dan Vitale does that makes him really difficult to get rid of, in addition to the fact that he could be a fullback, is he is he is a big part of their special teams units, uh, and he's good at it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you see all the photos of him. He's a... a enormously strong human being uh but you know if you want to be a running team and you don't have to have a fullback certainly you can do other you can do it other ways you can go with tight ends uh, h-backs whatever but you know if you want to get up and have a a true lead blocker dan vitale has shown that he can be a guy that can can be a lead blocker uh it's nice for a guy like chubb who has played behind a fullback in his career. He's done a little bit of everything. Uh, but, yeah, I, I have always been a fan of Vitaly. Athletically, he's ridiculous. It, you know, the Browns have added so many backs that it's not really necessary anymore. But, there, were, you know, last year in particular, I w- would have had no problem with them basically saying Dan Vitaly was our short yardage back because he's so athletic and strong. that you know, And, again, with the ball in his hands, he's great. Uh, you sort of forget about him in the passing game, and when they did some of those screens and things, he was very productive. And um, how about Days and uh, Montreal uh, Hilliard? Do you think he, they're going to make the practice squad at all? Or? Uh, my prediction is Montreal Hilliard will, will end up on somebody's 53-man roster. He's very interesting to me. He's super athletic. Um, the team I've sort of 
pegged, and I'm sure I'm going to be dead wrong about this, is the Lions. He sort of fits what they like to do in terms of having a super speed back uh, with Matt Stafford and those guys that they can spread out a little bit and, and find some room. I think uh, Matt, Matt Davies is a very safe bet to make the practice squad. Uh, he, to me, has always been Duke Johnson insurance, that if Duke was ever going to go down, that he's not going to be able to do, obviously, the dynamic things he does. But in terms of being a pass protector, a decent enough receiver that he can do those things. But uh, nothing, they have not really used him at all. Uh, so, I mean, if, 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 they, if I was going to keep a fifth back, it would be Hilliard over, over Days. But I, I do think Days is a very easy guy to get on the practice squad. They haven't played... Um... Uh, Johnson that much. You think that's similar to uh, Days in the aspect of they just don't want any secrets out there or keep it all very quiet? Um, I, uh, Hugh Jackson has talked about it. Obviously, they mentioned on Hard Knocks. Uh, I think it's purely about keeping Duke healthy. Uh, I think they know what he's going to be in their offense. Yeah, I think he's going to be a huge part. He should be a huge part. And I think they're basically just saying – Look, we know what he is, we know what he can do, and the two touches he's gotten are merely a matter of trying to get him ready, uh, you know, have taken a couple hits uh, to sort of get him ready for Pittsburgh. But the, the, I, they, that he, more than anyone else on this team, has been sort of shelved in terms of they're not going to mess with him at all. Um, Jack, anything else you want to discuss on the uh, RB room? No, that's it for me. On to the next room. Uh, let's go tight end. I think the big question mark there is Seth Deval. Right. So if if you're going to say in a vacuum, who is you know I've got three tight ends making. I've got David Njoku, Darren Fells, and Seth Deval. Uh, I would love to keep a fourth tight end, uh, but they don't have one uh, that I think is worth anything. And 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 to me, I would want another inline, a pure inline guy, not another you know. Uh, space player uh, but again in a vacuum if you were going to say who is better Seth DeValve Devin Kajust uh, Allen or any of the other tight ends on this team or, or even other receivers because uh, I, I think that you know what would be a fourth tight end spot is also in competition with receivers at that point um, Death, Seth DeValve is far better than any of those guys it's you know it would not be a huge shock to me if he was released. I'd be disappointed with it. If the Browns basically decide that that they're saying that he is healthy enough to play and he is not out there uh, and they want him out there and they decide that he's not worth the trouble in that respect, I could see it. But he played every game last year and he had a reception in fifteen of the, at least fifteen of those games. He had he, he had a, you know every game until the final game of the season where he had at least reception. So I mean I know there are a lot of people who love the story of Devin Kajust with Hard Knocks. He's a great athlete in his own right, but Devolve, as far as I know, has ten pounds on him. Uh, is far more you know is even more athletic than him, and he's obviously done it on Sundays against. You know, NFL competition where Kajust has done it, you know, a few times against backups. Uh, and again, he's another guy who you could say, you know, he might be somebody they look for on the practice squad in case Valve is, you know, uh, goes down for the season or somebody goes down the season that you can call him up. Uh, but I don't think there's a lot of demand for him on other teams. So I've only got those three. Maybe somebody gets released around the NFL on cut down day where they're saying, man, we need another inline tight end. Uh, but I think right now they're, those three are, are it. Uh, I've always predict three usually, but I've gone four and I have gone Caduce in there. We had uh, Jeff Riston on last show and he floated the idea that DeVal might end up on injury reserve just to start the season, which could happen. I hope that he's able to get out there and play. I think... They might take Caduce purely because they're really uncomfortable with the wide receiver room at the moment. So he just sort of gives you an option as an oversized uh, slot receiver. Um, but no, I, I agree, DeValve is so much better. And the more we can see in Joker out there this season, the better. I've tipped him for when Gronk finally retires, he will become the number one tight end in the entire NFL. Pete, do you feel so strong? I think Njoku can be a superstar. Um, 
I went to training camp a couple times, and they had one-on-ones, and it was embarrassing how easily he was able to get open. Uh, he had some issues with drops in the preseason or the training camp, and people were trying to get on him about that. Um, but just physically, he's he's a ridiculous marvel. Uh, I think he and the guy I was super high on this past year in the draft, Mike Jasicki, can both be. They're just so much more athletic than everybody else. And Jasicki's even more athletic than, than Njoku, uh, that those are the type of guys who can sort of take over the NFL. And that's where, you know, to me, this is where, you know, people disagree with me, but with the Jarvis Landry thing, but if Josh Gordon is full go, you know, Duke Johnson be, should be the second guy in that equation. And then Njoku should be third. I, if you're, I don't know how anyone can say to me, you know, if I ask you the question, who would you rather have the ball ball in the hands of? Would you rather have the ball in the hands of Njoku or would you rather have the ball in the hands of Jarvis Landry? I don't think there's anyone who can who can look me straight in the face and say, well, I want Landry to have the ball in that equation. Njoku is a gazelle at 240-some-odd pounds, and he, he's a nightmare uh, after the catch. Uh, I, I, I hope that when the season gets going, he becomes more of a featured part. And again, going back to the Eagles game, you had like – Three catches on ten targets, Landry, and I know some of those were throwaways. Some of those were, you know, not real, you know, catchable passes. But at the same time, you had Njoku, who's four for four, uh, almost scored the touchdown. He he scored two touchdowns in the previous preseason game. He's just such a problem. You, you that this is why the tight end is such a valuable commodity in the NFL, and I think is the tight ends are far more valuable than receivers. Uh, in general, is that if you just sort of look look around the NFL, there are plenty of teams with great, 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 great receivers that are garbage teams. But most of the teams that have a great, great tight end, uh, the Patriots being one of them, and obviously they'd be a playoff team without him. Uh, but the other one would be the Chiefs, who haven't had really great receivers. I mean, Tyreek Hill is is a good weapon, uh, certainly explosive. But Travis Kelsey's been sort of the driving force of that offense in the passing game, and without sort of super dynamic receivers, they still end up in the playoffs. I think that's the step that Njoku has to take where, you know, he's just such a matchup problem. Because with Njoku, if you're going into any Sunday, any defensive coordinator has to ask himself, who is going to cover this guy? And it's probably not going to be one guy. It's probably going to be a combination of guys. That's, you know, the problem you have with him is he's just so big, so fast that defending him with one guy is unrealistic. Yeah, coming into the season, uh, pre-draft, I wanted to see the Browns line up from the first snap this season with Baker Mayfield getting the ball and then deciding whether he throws it to Corey Coleman or Gordon on the outside, Kaseki or Njoku at tight ends and Duke Johnson out the backfield, it would just be an absolute nightmare because they can all create different things. And with the cap difference between top tight ends and top wide receivers being nearly double, it's a massive saving. You could have two, um, you could have Njoku and Gasecki at their top contracts and they're still the same price as one Jarvis Landry. So the opportunities were endless and Dorsey made the wrong call. Um, quick question on the uh, tight ends. Do you think if uh, Devon Conjuice uh, goes on our practice squad, will he get snapped up by someone else? I would say probably not. Uh, again, I, I, this this comes down to people like the story, but he was available to the Browns for a reason. It's not as if he was, you know, some high demand player. Uh, it's certainly possible the team could grab him. Uh, he, he has things to offer. The biggest thing that hurts him, and I don't know what has changed since he came into the league, he came in uh, out of out of Stanford at like 235 pounds. And if you're a really, really good space player, you can certainly get away with that. Uh, but some teams just don't think like that, and they want to put guys in boxes. And he's a difficult guy to put in a box in terms of – He's not really a receiver. He's not really a tight end. And some teams just don't have sort of the, the vision to sort of see how to use a guy like that. Okay. And then we've got uh, two other guys on our um, right deep down there. We've got um, Orson Childs and um, Steve uh, Baguette. Do you know much about him at all? 
So Orson Charles uh, was. This was in the area of the Bengals, where every year they had to take somebody from Georgia. Orson Charles, very athletic, coming out of Georgia, can't play dead. Uh, has absolutely been abysmal for the Browns thus far. Uh, just uh, it seems like Hugh Jackson picked him up almost, or, or the Browns. It feels like picked him up almost as a favor for the fact that he he did play for Hugh Jackson a few years. Um, just doesn't do much for you. Uh, I don't know much about Baggett other than the fact that he is more of an inline size tight end. So if you're saying that you know you want another guy in line, and I, I would certainly like that, uh, that he could potentially fit that. But as far as being on the field, no. And that that may, again, this you know you get into this whole you know the the, the chess game of. Is this a guy that they're trying to hide? I know this. he was recently brought in. It wasn't like he's been sitting here. It may be a case of they wanted to just get a look at him, they'll release him, or they may you know, ultimately feel like he's somebody that can get to the practice squad and give them another option. But I expect when waivers come out and guys get cut down, there will be more attractive options than either of those, that if they want another guy, they can get him. Okay, great. And to finish up, the big one, the wide receiver room. So I've got Josh Gordon, uh, Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, Rashard Higgins, Damian Ratley, and and the one I, I can't get away from, even though you, all the evidence would say you get rid of him based on how he's done so far, is Jeff Janis. Um, and that's purely special teams. It, it, and I go back to Marlon Moore, who the Browns had for a few years, and every year we all tried to get rid of him. Uh, because he couldn't do anything as a receiver, and the Browns would insist on keeping him because he could do special teams. Janice may be that type of guy. The other part with Janice is he is athletically very impressive, and he's huge, uh, physically big. Um, that you could make you can make the case that much like you would have with Ricardo Lewis, had he been healthy, obviously out for the year with his neck injury. I hope not his career. That you can say to yourself that Jeff Janice has all these athletic qualities and size that you're willing to bet on him and that hopes that you know he can operate in special teams and do all those things but that he ha- does have the ability at some point to become more of a featured weapon but the other guys I think the five the five are pretty set it's just a question of if they keep six who is the sixth guy that's who I have Pete if there was an injury <coughs> I think the um, sixth person would be out of CJ Board Derek Willies and uh, DeMaria De Scott. Who do you think would make that last spot? I think the Browns would keep C.J. Board. I like Damari Scott. Okay. And do you think uh, C.J. Board's going to make the practice squad? No. Uh, and it's not because he's not good enough. It's because there are so many receivers that it's very easy to go get somebody else. The one guy I do think will make the practice squad if he, he can get there is Willie's. And that's purely because he's 6'3", something, 200 pounds, and he's tested incredibly well. Uh, C.J. Board is a nice player. I certainly wouldn't mind seeing him on the practice squad, but I think he is ultimately, you know, this is part of the reason I think Jeff Janis can make the team is that Damari Scott and, and uh, C.J. Board respectively are very – uh, sort of run of the mill. There are a lot of CJ boards and Damari Scotts out there that if you really, really want one of those guys, there's no shortage of them. Okay, cool. Thank you very much, Jack. Any more questions about the uh, offense? Uh, no, there were the five I had locks as wide receiver room. Janice was my pick for wide receiver six. So I was over the moon when you dropped his name in there. I think it's going to be closer, and it wouldn't surprise me if Ball gets kept, but. Uh, no, there's a lot of agreement on uh, offense, and uh, there's a lot of talent, and it just makes it easier this year. Uh, there's We're not looking at wild cards to make the roster. There is genuine players that are good enough. Yeah. Pete, anything else you want to discuss about the um, offense? Um, not really. I mean, I've, I've got 25 guys on offense uh, staying. The, you know, things could get interesting when, when guys get cut. Uh, that you know, it's it's possible that somebody will come out there that that the Browns feel they have to have that has some connection to some one of the personnel guys there. Uh, but really, it, it didn't feel difficult at all to sort of come to these twenty five for me. Uh, maybe there will be a big surprise. Maybe you know, set the valve stands out as the the guy that something could happen with. 
But no, it, it feels very, for better or worse, this, this feels like what they have. And just looking at the practice squad, five names on the offense side, Caduce, Days, Willies, and then Delang, Delaro and Gray. Would you say they'd be the five? Um, if, if, if it's up to me, I would run, I would run up and get Jeff Gray, Anthony Fabiano, CJ, uh, Christian Delaro, uh, and then, I mean, they, at that point you could, uh, you could make the case for Kajust and then Days, uh, as being the five, but I expect one of those, if, if they're, if they're saying only five, obviously they have 10 total spots, then one of those guys would probably be Brogan Roback. Yeah. All right, great. Pete, thank you very much. Pete, I've got one more question before we go. What body part would you be willing to give up for Browns to win the Super Bowl? Uh, I'd give up my appendix for a Browns Super Bowl. So if, if we if we can make that trade, I, I, I will offer up my appendix. A very clever move. I had, I had a chance. I had a chance to sort of think about it. <laughs> All right, Pete. Thank you so so much. Um, for going into detail there. We're going to get you back up, back on soon, and talk about the defence. Yeah, sounds good. Where can people find your stuff? I know you're always on Twitter. What's the Twitter handle? Uh, given my obnoxiously common name, and, and I'm sure Paul can sort of relate to this, uh, at underscore Pete Smith underscore uh, is, is where I'm at on Twitter. Obviously, I still write for NFL Spin Zone, uh, so those are the easiest places to get a hold of me. <laughs> And you, you do an article, what, once a week, roughly? Uh, somewhere around there. It's, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm re- responsible for eight a month, so it's just a question of when those get done. Cool. Well, look, Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, discussing the events in the next show. Sounds good. There's change coming. There's change.